Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, with a reminder that we will be discussing long COVID later on on the programme uh, because what's come out this week is the first study so far uh, conducted in this country on patients who are suffering from long COVID. And long COVID seems to be one of those, I don't know if you call it a disorder or what you would actually call it, but it's hard to get accurate figures on how many people are suffering from long COVID because there seems to be so much confusion Confusion, even amongst, dare I say, the medical profession, because according to this study, there can be up to 33 different symptoms of long COVID. So I imagine when somebody presents to a doctor saying I'm suffering from X, Y and Z. Oh, and by the way, I also have this, this and this. It's probably causing a lot of confusion. And long COVID is probably not the first thing that's springing to mind when somebody goes into a, a doctor's and that's causing problems for a lot of patients. So if you have a story to share with us and if you are, um, suffering from long COVID or perhaps you live with somebody who's suffering from long COVID uh, feel free to share your story either through calling John Paul or texting or whatsapping 086 to 103 103 you can also email the programme patricia at c103.ie but I want to start the programme today by talking about a photograph that's making it's on the front page of the Irish Examiner it's on the front page of the Irish Times and if you go into the Irish Independent uh, the same picture is also there it's a picture that was taken by Dara McSweeney and it's a picture of a little three-year-old girl by the name of Molly Common. And Molly is giving a birthday kiss to her great-grandmother, who is Sheila O'Regan, on the occasion of Sheila O'Regan's 100th birthday. And what a sprightly-looking 100-year-old Sheila O'Regan is. And it was at her home in Bally Phillips in Whites Across. The centenarian who is mother of seven, She's grandmother to 24 and she's great grandmother to 32, of which young Molly is one. She also got a birthday treat that you might have seen last night. Paul Byrne did a report on Virgin Media News uh, where he played for her a um, video message from 
Sheila's political crush. And her political crush was the former Taoiseach Bertie Ahern, who on hearing that he was her crush, sent her a, a special message wishing her a happy birthday after Bertie had heard that she had been a lifelong admirer. And it was lovely to see her looking at the video and she looked absolutely thrilled to have the one and only Bertie Ahern uh, wishing her a happy 100th birthday. And Ralph Regal... is writing about her in the Irish Independent uh, today. Sheila Seemingly originally is from Farron. She never, and when obviously then she was asked, you know, because she's got amazing health for a 100 year old, uh, she spoke about the fact that she never drank, uh, she never smoked, she exercised throughout her life. And I think this is the key to Sheila's long life and good health. She was renowned seemingly for walking miles to visit family and friends and even though she never owned a pair of runners, she always had a good sensible pair of shoes on her when she headed off on her walks. Her healthy lifestyle has certainly stood her in good stead and seemingly Sheila only required a walking aid about four years ago when she was 96. Up to that she didn't need a walking aid at all. As I say, she's a mother of seven. She's had a pretty tough because she was widowed at a young age. She was only 49 when her husband, Roger, who she had met at a dance in Coachford in 1942. Poor Roger passed away in 1971 and her children at that stage, her youngest was only eight and her eldest was uh, 25. But she was only 49, which is a young, young woman uh, to be left widowed uh, with still some very young children at home. Uh, She says life as a widow, raising her children was challenging. But because she just said, you know, money had to be very, very carefully managed. And she would come from that generation who knew the worth of every single penny and wasted nothing. She's never been on an aeroplane. Her longest trip was going over and back from Cork to the UK, but she went by ferry. She went over there to visit relatives on three occasions. She said she's a bit of a homebird. Uh, I'm always a lot happier at home with my children and my family and my friends and my neighbours. And she, she seemingly is renowned within the Bally Philip community for her kindness, her caring nature and her good humour. Like one local person described Sheila as a surrogate grandmother to half of the parish. And then she was asked her advice on the secret of a long and a happy life. And she said kindness, hard work, good friends, lots of exercise and always finding time for a good chat. And her only regret in her hundredth years was years was that she never made it to Lourdes in France, although she has been a regular visit to Knock Shrine in uh, County Mayo. But as I say, what grabbed my attention was just the gorgeous photograph of her, one of her 32 grand, great-grandchildren, little Molly, uh, giving her just a gorgeous kiss. And you could just see the way little Molly's almost hanging on to her. And I don't know what Molly calls her, but it's just, it's a lovely, lovely, Lovely uh, picture. So we can we say happy, happy birthday, 100 years of age. Sheila O'Regan out in uh, White's Cross, 0818103103. And while that's a gorgeous uh, story uh, in making today's papers, along with the photograph, uh, what's also making the papers, and it's just stomach churning, some of the stories that are coming out of the childhood abuse carried out at places like Black Rock College, you know, the the famous private school of Black Rock uh, College. Um, They're making the papers today because an international lawyer has said that the recent scandal involving the Spiriton community in Ireland, she says now it's just the tip of the iceberg and she's currently investigating potential cases involving 70 other men 
who were alleged that they were abused at schools under the order's control. And it's a Dr. Olivia Olivares. She's a solicitor who has represented victims of sexual abuse in America and also in the UK. And because obviously she's getting finding out about the stories of what happened here. She's now decided to register to practice in Ireland and she's joined a law firm in uh, Dublin. A significant number of the cases that this solicitor is reviewing relates to Blackrock College in South Dublin. She said we are deep into the invest into the investigation of one case in particular and she says that the details of the abuse are horrific. She said it involved terrible violence. It was over a time period that went on for a number of years and it was also done by a number of different uh, spiriting uh, priests. So it wasn't just one. There was a number involved in the abuse. Now it's also emerged that the Gardaí are investigating the allegations of abuse among members of the order and it's over a 50 year period. Blackrock Cat Blackrock College obviously has since issued an apology to victims describing the abuse as a shameful period in the school's uh, history. The Spiritan uh, congregation which confirms that allegations concerned nine of its schools have also apologised to victims, apologised to survivors and they are assisting it's doing all they can to ensure that schools are safe places for the present congregation because it surely must put fear into and and worries into the minds of parents whose sons are currently attending these private uh, schools. And the, and the Spiritans, by the way, they were formerly known as the Holy Ghost Order. I don't know when or why they had that particular name change. And a spokesperson for the order are, are confirming that a number of former students have come forward with new allegations. Now, this was following the RTE documentary, which aired on Monday. I haven't heard the documentary but it seemingly is quite horrific I find it difficult I have to say to listen or to watch any of those programmes when they're on uh, TV I don't know what it is and I think I don't know whether it's I, I think for me I think since Marsha came to live with me and the fact that I know that she spent the first um nine years of her life in an orphanage I think you know I don't even want to think what she may have gone through uh, and, and I think because of that I just seem to my stomach just seems to turn and I just get shivers down my spine when any of the allegations of abuse in this country uh, come forward and God knows we've seen so many of them over the years from our own orphanages and, and but the ones now coming out from schools but this one is particularly horrific and the fact that it's coming out from a private school you know where parents would have paid huge fees for their children to attend these schools and some okay some parents are very wealthy and they had the money but other parents worked you know, double jobs because they wanted the best education for their sons and they thought the best place to send them was to some of these private schools and then for these stories of abuse uh, to come out. So the order are saying that following the airing of the documentary on Monday, that more former uh, pupils have come forward and they also say that, that they're expecting the number to rise. Allegations of abuse have been made by 233 
people. And that's against 77 Irish spiritans in ministry throughout Ireland and overseas. To date, more than 80 settlements have been made and further cases are ongoing. The order have admitted they've paid out over 5 million to date and that was in abuse, settlements, claims and support services. And eight of the schools at the centre of the allegations are are based in uh, Dublin. The ninth one is uh, the Rockwell College in uh, Cashel in Tipperary. And Rockwell College, actually, there would have been a number of pupils from the Cork area whose parents would have sent them to Rockwell College because that was probably nearer than sending them to uh, Dublin. But it just is truly shocking. And it is just, as I say, stomach turning to hear some of the stories. And now we've got this solicitor reckoning that it is just the tip of the iceberg because what has a tendency to happen is when when people go public, the very brave men who decided to go public on it, and in particular, it was two brothers, the Ryan brothers, who went forward and told their story of what happened to both of them when they attended uh, Black Rock and their abuse uh, went on from the ages of 12 right through to 17. So I imagine all of their time at Black Rock uh, College. They're both now, David is 58 and Mark is uh, 61. And it was through their stories now, through, through the, bro- the Ryan brothers coming out and seeing what happened to them and going public with their stories, that more and more people now are stepping forward to say that either, yes, I was abused or I witnessed the abuse. Because it's accepted now, I mean, really, the, you know, the, the, the worst of the effects, obviously, on those who were both um, sexually and very violently abused, but also for other young boys to have witnessed that. And then there's a guilt goes with it as to why they, they didn't do anything, why they didn't, uh, why they didn't uh, stop it. And that can also have a lifelong effect on those boys as well. A number of people, when I mentioned Sheila Regan, wanted to wish her a happy birthday and her 100th birthday, including a listener says, you're speaking about that lady and reaching her 100th birthday, Sheila O'Regan. And tears are running down my face. May God bless her. What a shame more are not like her yeah and I think it's fantastic that she still seems to be living at home I'm, I'm assuming that their family members living with her but she's just so hale and hearty at 100 which is terrific uh, Christy Moore is playing live at the Marquee on Saturday the 17th of June next year and this morning at 9 o'clock a uh, little under an hour and a half ago tickets to the Christy Moore live at the Marquee officially went on sale through Ticketmaster.ie but we have tickets to give away free this week I'll play you a clip of a song don't call or text yet I'll be getting you and I won't be even getting you to call I'll be getting you to text or WhatsApp later on but this is today's song Another fantastic song I just love Christy Wartracks I really do Okay that's today's song Make a note of the name of that song I'll play it again later and I'll give you the exact time for you to call our text and you could be in with a chance of winning a pair of tickets live at the Marquee on Saturday June 17th with tickets now officially on sale through Ticketmaster.ie Court today on C103 With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor home, business, farm, life and health insurance. See mig.ie. Court today on C103. Call 
Patricia with your comment. 0818 103 103. A protest outside St. Vincent's School in Cork City yesterday heard more pleas to save the secondary school. There have been calls for the proposed amalgamation with North Press to simply be stopped. A meeting of St. Vincent's trustees, board of management and staff uh, were told is due to take place today. But yesterday we sent our news reporter Mairead Tuig along to the school and first she spoke with some of the students. My name is Bailey Sheehan. My first thought was, can I cry in class? Because it was such a rush decision and that like the principal came in and he was on the verge of tears telling us as well. And I was like, I'm a six-year, am I allowed to think this? And I was like, then, of course I am, it's my school. I think it's absolutely, it's terrible that they're closing us down. Like, I, I have cousins who went there, like, my nan actually went there. Like, this school, it's a part of so many people's lives, and it's changed people for the better. Like, we have our Lear Hub in school, what, ha- what will happen to them girls? Like... Our facilities here are, like, enough and more for the girls. And none of us want to move. None of us want to change. And it's not because we don't like North Press, because we actually have a relationship with the school. But it's because we love our own school, probably just as much as they love theirs. I chose here because I was I went to a mixed primary school. And the choice that you can go to an all-girls school, and, it, like, as soon as I came into school, I flourished. Like, I got on with everyone. Because I was... I was quiet at the start of school but just the all girls environment was fantastic like the teachers would spend time one on one with you because our classes aren't massively huge they're fairly, they're small enough but they're, they're big enough that the teachers can get on what they need to get on there's no disruptions or anything and like there's just a respect and like an atmosphere in the school that like our teachers get the respect they need the students get the respect they need there's no malice there's no tension between anyone like it's just a lovely atmosphere to walk into in the morning like I walk in and I'm like flashing people smiles and they'll smile back at me or just say morning to me even though they don't know who I am properly do you know and you said there like there's so many generations of your family have gone here and now if this goes ahead it just wipes it for every morning yeah like that's my sister there she's in first year now and I'm after convincing my mum and her this is the best thing since the slice of fan and I got her to come to the school she had all the different choices but she came here and she's loving it like she's there's different um, facilities here for her like the counsellor now we have the counsellor we have our ASD unit the Lear Hub um, and we have we just have everything we need here we don't need to go anywhere and uh, are you proud to see how many people turn out to support yeah. this? I am absolutely proud of every single girl that showed up, and boy. Um, all the past pupils, all the bams, all the dads. I'm just immensely proud of every each each and every single one of them. And do you think that people power hopefully will, will change this proposal? Oh yeah. If, if that meeting doesn't go well tomorrow, there will be uproar. <laughs> absolute uproar. My name's Katie. I'm in fourth year at TY. Hearing it two weeks ago, it literally just broke my heart, like, um, like the teachers here, I've never, ever been so helped out in all my life up here. Like, I'm part of the ASD unit, um, and I feel so supported. I really hope, I, I came first year to finish my six years here, and I want to finish my six years here. It's the best decision I've made in my my entire life and I thank the teachers for helping that and if this proposal was to go ahead how would it change your life because like part of my autism like 
change doesn't deal well with me. Like I've been through so much change already because um, I went to two primary schools and it just wasn't the best for me. Change is not good for me. And I know they say change is good, but it's not in a situation like this. It would affect me for life. For life. My name is Nisha. I'm second year. When I heard about it, I felt very, very sad because we all came here with a hope, with a new girls' school, and we all want to be in a girls' school because we want to be secured. Like there are various reasons for it, and like North Perth, if comes here, like it's going to be a mixed school, and our parents won't like they want don't want us to go in a mixed school, and also there are various reasons. Um, also, but uh, we love the school. We love our teachers. Um, we don't want it to happen and like we're I'm in second year right now like if this happens it's gonna have like it's gonna be a very big problem for me because I'm in a course three years like in third year I'm gonna do my junior start but if this happens right now it's gonna be like super big problem for us and the second year especially so and the fifth years as well fourth years so Anisha how would it change your life if this proposal goes ahead um it would change like I don't want to be in that school and like I don't want to move school I want to be in this school and this is our right we don't want it, it are, it's our student voice and we want it that's it it's a human right like, yeah. like if we want to stay they should listen to us like it's a human right of options and choice and you know what like we should be allowed our voices to be heard in a situation like this like I was devastated when I found out I want my six years here I want to graduate here um, and so, also, our friends are gonna spread out, and we don't want it. Don't our friend want communication friend. is very important for us. Like, yes. Yeah, because they say school is so much more than just the academics. Yeah, things. absolutely. It's yeah. just like our home. We don't want to lose it. It's one big community. We're all family here. Yes. Um, and we just want to stay here. We just want to stay here together. We won't go down without a fight. My name's Leona Islam. I'm in second year. Alicia Skulimoska, second year like her. We were so distraught. We went into the class and we had a whole big chat about it. Everyone hated it. Nobody wanted to do it. And I don't think anyone in the school actually wants to move. I remember when we were in our class that we got told in was SPHE. And we have a lovely teacher in that class. Well, she, she's very thoughtful and likes to talk about things. And she was, she told us, and we were all, like, distressed because we were trying... We got, like, colouring pages and stuff, and we just started, like, doing things that we listened. Because it was hard to, like, not cry. I saw some tears falling in that room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was, it was a nice moment because we all felt the same thing, sympathy and sorrow and lots of sad things. But, like, showing our emotions in one room was really nice to see. And did you feel like that your voices weren't heard at all in this whole process? We didn't even get a proposal. I don't think much of the teachers wanted to do it as well because we went into maths, it was our last class that day, and the maths teacher was very upset about the situation and wasn't really in the mood to teach, but we still we didn't really have good learning that day. Um, our school has come together and we are, like, as you saw, we were all here chanting. and I thought that was lovely because all our... Um, all our sad chanting gave a good atmosphere to show how much we love the school. And like, I suppose like coming to you in the middle of the, the school year as well, it's a massive burden to, to take yeah. with you each day, isn't it, until something, a resolution? Yeah, it's de- it definitely is. I feel like it's really out of the blue. Like there was, no, there was no background to this. We just kind of heard it. I really wish that it was told much earlier and that we actually had a choice on whether it happened or not because there was letters sent out and everything. And it's like, 
we have no choice in it. We're we're the ones going to this school, not them. They're the ones making the choices, but we're the ones that actually have to live through those choices. And I feel like it would just be a really better thing to do is to actually have the students and the people who go to these schools have a choice in what's going to happen to them. And as I am prefect in the class, like I help manage around the student council, and um, no one in the council got to say first. They just told the whole classes and they expect us to live with it and to be told like when you tell your kids your story of what school you went to you have to say oh I went to St Vincent's first but some people just decided to move us up to a different school. What a, what a very articulate bunch of young uh, pupils there. Uh, and our thanks to Murray Tuig, our news reporter, who went along to that uh, protest uh, yesterday. And actually, when I was teeing it up and talking about that, we would be running this piece uh, with uh, Ken this morning. I assumed it was some decision that had been made by the Department of Education, but but it's not. It seems the, the Department of Education confirmed that they received correspondence from the patrons of St. Vincent Secondary School and the patrons of the North Pres Secondary School regarding this proposed amalgamation of schools. And there's also going to be a change of status that the newly amalgamated school then will become co-educational. And that's why the Parents Association and the students that we heard from there on Maraid's uh, uh, piece, they're all voicing their concerns about the decision that they say they were blind. They were blindsided by it. That they, you know, it was just suddenly it was announced this, this is what happening, hap- what happened, what is to happen. And there's no consultation. And certainly that's running through the thread of all of those students that Maraid spoke to uh, yesterday. They were given no choice or consulted before this decision was made. And as I mentioned, there is a meeting of St Vincent's trustees, board of management and staff and the due to take place uh, today. Don't know the timeline on that, but if we get an update on that story, we will bring it to you. 0818 103 103. John Paul, taking your calls, you can text your WhatsApp 0862. 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. C103's Irish Sunday is the big show on your radio. Sunday mornings from 10. Four hours of all-time favourites from Cleena Hagen to Mike Denver. Susan McCann to Derek Ryan. And Daniel O'Donnell to Nathan Carter. It's Cork's greatest hits, guaranteed. And everyone is Irish. Join us Sunday mornings from 10am. Irish Sunday on C103. This week's Irish Farmers Journal contains an agribusiness report which looks at the contribution of local towns to economic output and how agricultural activity is linked to employment in those areas. Five towns were used in the case study, including the town of Charleville. Joining me, the agribusiness editor, and that is Lorcan Roach-Kelly. Good morning to you, Lorcan. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, you're, you're welcome to the programme. Do, do many Irish towns have industry that is based around farming? I think it, it's. I think that's what we're trying to show in this report. Um, between the Irish Farmers Journal and KPMG, like it's our tenth annual agribusiness report, and we always look at bits of the how the um the, how agriculture and the industry exists in Ireland. But this year we kind of looked and said, okay, let's just measure it. Let's see how big it is in some towns, because the big problem I think with agriculture as an industry, it's not in one place. It spreads so widely across the country that people often don't get an idea of how big of an industry it is, how many people it employs, how important it is to the economy. So by picking five key towns, we picked them like kind of a geographical spread, but also a spread of different kinds of agriculture, like Ballyhonest and Mayo is one of the towns, very much a beef area. 
in uh, in Escorty we have Tillage Charleville as you mentioned it was one of the big town for dairy dairy is like the driving industry in Charleville so like they each have their own little bit regarding the economy but by looking at them all together we can build a picture of how important agriculture is for the Irish economy and when you look at the numbers there, there are some very big numbers in this, Yeah so. I mean I, I think people will be taken aback um, and when when you look at the figures they're, they're eye-watering figures in some cases T- talk to me about how much they contribute to the national economy I suppose looking at Charleville itself, because we look at the town and we just take a kind of a 30 kilometre circle around it, because that's kind of the inputs into the town. And for Charleville, that's 1.7 billion euros in 2021. And there's over 13,000 people employed either directly or indirectly in agriculture. And by indirectly, I mean people working in businesses that are servicing agriculture or people whose jobs exist because agricultural spending exists in the area. Yeah, and the amount of people it employs. I mean, of all of the towns, it 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 struck me, uh, it's the town that has the highest employment numbers. It absolutely. Well, I suppose it has high employment number. It has a high population. Like I, I wrote a little bit about Charleville for this thing because I live in County Clare, so it was a small spin down the road for me. And just being in the town, like it's it's kind of. Like there's the high energy, high bus town, but also it has so many services. You have a couple, of, the two, there would be big multiple chains there. You have banks, you have the um, credit union, and it's just a town that is clearly it's doing very well. And that's what part of the launch there um, the other day with some one of the guys from Kerry Group up talking at launch, and he pointed out something which I thought was interesting that when Charleville, well, when Golden Vale was in Charleville 30 years ago, they had an engineering plant and they used to do stainless steel engineering just for the local dairy guys. That plant closed down, but all the expertise that was in that stainless steel plant stayed in the area. A lot of guys work and started their own businesses. And now there are several businesses in the Charleville area that are doing stainless steel for dairy industry throughout Ireland and across Europe. And all that exists, all that industry exists because the farmers are there in the first place. So it's kind of which came first, the chicken or the egg. In this case, it's like the industry is there because the farm is there, but the farmers can only exist there and make make profit there because the industry is there to support them. So it's a really kind of symbiotic relationship. And, and, I, and I'm assuming you spoke to people on the ground and, and particularly to the farmers. Absolutely. We, we, did, we did conduct a survey as well as part of this just to get an idea of what, what their concerns and what they're worried about. And um, I think one of the big things they're concerned about is going forward is that getting young people into farming because mm-hmm. it's still seen as, um, you know, I suppose it's long hours, low pay, lonely, dirty work. But like, it is, if farming, like I'm farming back from myself, like, it can be a very rewarding career. But it is an industry that needs people to continue enjoying it. Because if we don't have farmers, okay, we don't have farms, but also everything else disappears as well. All these 13,000 jobs in Charleville will eventually go away unless, you know, there's some other industry to replace it. But farming is the one you want to back because farms aren't going to move. They're there permanently. So it's the kind of thing you need to look after the farmers. And no surprise to see that the people you surveyed spoke about rising input costs. Probably yeah. the biggest challenge facing them? Absolutely. Biggest challenge and hopefully biggest challenge short term. Like what we call the three Fs, fertilizer, fuel and feed. The price of them has gone absolutely skyrocketed this year. There is, we, we do hope, there's some policy there too, that these prices, is this, this spike is actually short term. It's like, because if prices go up again for two and three or four years at the rate they haven't last year, then farming becomes unsustainable. But I think farming becomes unsustainable everywhere in the world at these price levels. So I think it's definitely something that policy response needs to. But I think longer term, it is getting young people into farming and also concerns about environmental, like farmers are concerned about the environment, but also concerned about what kind of environmental legislation will be brought in. And I think that the kind of policymakers need to be aware of when they're writing environmental legislation, how critical the farming industry is to the economy. Because I think the thing we're showing is thing like farming is spread across the 
the economy across the country. But when you take it all together in one piece, it is a huge industry and it's by far the most important industry in Ireland. And just staying on challenges, Lorcan, of course, Brexit hasn't gone away. Could there be some dark days ahead, particularly for Irish exporters to the UK? I, I think generally the Irish farmers and exports do have been quite good on Brexit. I think almost the thing that we might be more concerned about is what's going to happen, the value of the pound, more than if we can get stuff into the market. Because it's all about the export to the UK, but if, if the price you're selling that is too high for the UK market, then you're in trouble. Mm. But I think that's going to be more important for the UK because they, 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 they're not in a position where they can import um, fresh food from further afield. Like they have to buy locally, and like for, for the UK, Ireland is fairly local. So I think it's going to be definitely the UK is. is well, may have to change the tune and a few things it's, it's pushed on so far, but we'll see how that goes. OK, and finally then, you, d- does your study clearly show just how important it is that we protect our agricultural industry? And I think that that's the, the reason the study exists, is to, to, to show how big the industry is and how, what's at stake. Because, like, we've looked at the local towns, but on a national level, like, you're looking at... Um, I think I just pulled the number out here. Um, you're looking at, like... Uh, 21 billion euros in 20 in last year. You look at 178,000 jobs in agriculture in the Republic of, in the Republic of Ireland. Those are huge numbers. That, that, that is an entire economy by itself. And if you don't look after that, if you let that disappear, it'll Ireland will be in recession for a long time. And I think the thing we have to be aware of is like agriculture doesn't go away like say like like Ford pulling out a cork in the 1970s. The big announcement is a disaster, and the government runs in and tries to look after the people that are left behind. Agriculture will slowly fade away over a generation or two. And then only when it's all gone, we'll, we'll know what we've lost. Mm. So this is kind of right now we're saying, this is what's at stake. This is important. This has to be looked after. Yeah, I think that's what, what the policymakers need to do. Yeah, Mike says, good to see Charleville spoken about in such good light on your programme today. All we need now, says Mike, who I'm assuming is from Charleville, all we need now is a bypass. Uh, th- <laughs> that's the big problem for the pe- for the good people of Charleville and anyone that uh, gets caught up in the traffic there. You, you, you can't not get caught up in the traffic there, yes. Yeah, yeah. Which, uh, yes. Anyway, uh, listen, it's it's coming. It's just when. We won't put a date on that one. Listen, it's a, it's a great report. It's in uh, this week's Irish Farmers Journal, uh, the Agribusiness uh, Report. Lorcan, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Uh, good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is Agribusiness Editor with the Irish Farmers Journal and that's Lorcan Roach-Kelly. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Premier League Live is back on c103.ie with Trevor Welch this Saturday. It's from midday, powered by Talk Sport. We'll bring you live coverage of Manchester City versus Brentford. That's at 12.30. Liverpool versus Southampton at 3. Newcastle take on Chelsea. That's at 5.30. And then Wolves versus Arsenal is at 7.45. The Premier League Live online with Harvey Norman, your home of the big screen. Listen Saturdays on the C103 app or you can go to c103.ie. Some of your thoughts coming into the programme. Somebody picking up on the piece that Barry ran with on the news. And this is uh, is from a podcast uh, with Leo Varadkar where he's raised the prospect of a transfer pact between Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil in the next uh, election. The Fine Gael leader said his party and Fianna Fáil could have won more seats if their supporters had transferred their votes between the parties when the country last went to the polls. And uh, one listener is saying, doesn't it go to show you, Patricia, how terrified Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are that they're already discussing a voting pact? It's a sad old day for this country when they can't go it alone. I, I think it probably more uh, reflects 
uh, on how the political, the main political parties are viewing the opinion polls because, of course, Sinn Féin, for a number of opinion polls now, are doing remarkably well. And I suppose there is a fear factor there that, you know, they'll always say that, you know, they don't believe in opinion polls and the only true opinion poll is when the ballot boxes are open. But it must make them nervous. And I'm wondering how much of that has got to do with Leo Varadkar saying, look, we need to have some kind of a pact between Fianna Gael and uh, Fianna Fáil. Because he was asked in the podcast about uh, Sinn Féin and Sinn Féin going in to power and he reckons this was a quote from Leo Varadkar that it would take 10 years to clean up the mess if Mary Lou Macdonald's party uh, if they got into government the mess they would make of the, uh, the the country and he was obviously asked about would he consider going in to power with uh, Sinn Féin and the line he uh, used he, what he said was that's a line he said which we won't cross and the comment he made on the piece that I heard with Barry at 11 was oil and water don't uh, mi- mix. So he's clearly saying he w- that Fine Gael certainly wouldn't go into government uh, with Sinn Féin. Um, but they are now, I don't know how Micheál Martin feels about uh, a, a transfer pact. And also at grassroots level, it'll be it'll be very interesting if this is decided how candidates are going to feel on grassroots levels because you'll have some of our own constituencies here across Cork City and County where you will have a Fianna Fáil candidate very much fighting against a Fianna Gael candidate for a seat and vice versa and I don't know locally how they would feel about going on the doorsteps and saying well if you give me your number one will you give my number will you give your number two to the opposite party so I think there'll be a lot more we'll hear and see about this uh, before the next general election and actually just on elections of sorts Micheál Martin will stand down as Taoiseach it's going to be two days later than was originally thought it'll be the 17th of uh, December and of course the reason for this uh, delay uh, is that the government needs to go to Brussels the rotation of the role of Taoiseach from Micheál Martin to Leo Varadkar it was due to take place on the 15th of December but in order for it to take place on the 15th of December both men would be required to be in the country on that uh, day because what would have what will have to happen is uh, Micheál Martin will have to offer his resignation to the President Michael D. Higgins then the Dáil will have to have a vote to elect Leo Varadkar as the new Taoiseach then Leo Varadkar would have to travel to Phoenix Park to receive his seal of office from the uh, President but we now know that on the 15th of December Micheál Martin will be in in Brussels uh, attending uh, a meeting so what they've decided now is the handover is going to take place two days later and there's going to be a Saturday sitting of the Dáil and by having it on Saturday the 17th of December it will allow the Dáil to go into recess as planned in the week leading up to Christmas because there had been um, talk about if they waited until say the Monday, the Tuesday or or the Wednesday it would mean that they wouldn't be able to break up for Christmas uh, on the date that they normally do so they're going to have a Saturday Dáil sitting instead so it'll be the 17th of December that Micheál Martin will step down as Taoiseach and Leo Varadkar will step in instead and of course there was also a bit of good news for Leo Varadkar yesterday because he's been told he won't face an investigation by SIPO, the country's ethics watchdog. Uh, Leo Varadkar says, I have been 
now cleared of criminal wrongdoing and any breach of ethics and standards. And he said, this is always the outcome that I expected because that obviously was something that was very much hanging over his head. 0818103103. Ted by WhatsApp saying, thank God for the mild weather and hearing you call out mild uh, temperatures for tonight and tomorrow. And the reason Ted is thankful that it's mild, as I'm sure a lot of people are thankful it's mild at the moment. Ted got his oil, home heating oil yesterday and he said he was shocked by how much it has gone up. He said last year he paid 550 euro and he said about three quarters of the tank needed to be filled. It was the same this year. It was just under a thousand euro. God help us all if we get a very cold winter, says Ted. Actually, funny enough, I got home heating oil uh, yesterday as well. Similar as well. Kind of shocked. I knew it it had gone up. I mean, everybody knows it's gone up. I couldn't get over how much it's gone up by. But um, I was talking to the lovely man who brings my home heating oil. And he was saying how incredibly quiet it is at the moment that people are holding off buying possibly and most likely because of the cost of the home heating oil at the moment that if people are holding off what will happen then is if we get a run on very cold weather you'll have people realising that they haven't got their fill of oil and that's then going to put pressure on deliveries uh, etc but yeah it is you're in for a shock if you are getting your home heating oil at the moment thank you for that uh, Ted to 0862 103 103 and a reminder that we will be discussing in this our long uh, COVID this is to do with the study that has just come out and I'm told it's the first study ever of long COVID patients in this country so I'm interested in speaking with somebody who is actually suffering from long COVID and part of a long COVID advocacy uh, group Uh, so we're asking people if you're suffering from long COVID or believe you're suffering from long COVID or have a family member uh, to share your stories with us Mara says uh, Patricia interested to hear you talking about long COVID I had COVID about two years ago and I wasn't sick uh, following it but I reckon I must have picked up COVID again again during the last two years because suddenly in June I became very unwell. Heart palpitations, brain fog, vertigo, absolute exhaustion. I even at one point ended up in hospital. I'd never before felt so unwell. After blood tests, ultrasounds, MRIs, angiograms, nothing wrong with me. In August, in absolute desperation because none of these symptoms were going away, I contacted a virologist who took hair, blood and saliva samples and told me I definitely was suffering the effects of uh, COVID. She says she has seen it dozens of times. I was put on herbs and vitamins and I can finally say three months later I am now feeling much, much uh, better. My GP dismissed me by the way as a crazy patient and how often do you hear that and I think that's one of the real frustrations for people who are suffering from long COVID in that they're presenting with all of these symptoms tests are done, nothing can be found wrong wrong with somebody and then they're like that dismissed as there's nothing wrong with you it's all it's all in your mind and that must be really really hard for somebody who's suffering as 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 we'll find out uh, in this study up to 33 different symptoms uh, people claim that they can have from long COVID. 0818103103 our lines are open C103 jobs Ward personnel are recruiting ground workers. If you have experience in pipe laying, drainage, excavation or concreting, please call 021 233 9120. Now, a full-time dog groomer and a part-time kennel handler are wanted for hairy hounds. Hairy hounds are based in Churchtown. If you want to give them a call, you can 087 224 6207. 
an accounts administrator is wanted for Avonmore Electrical based in Clanturk. Email CVs with the cover letter please to breed at avonmore-electrical.com and your application needs to be in by Friday the 25th of November. And full-time electrical service engineer is wanted to work in the Mallow area. CVs please to dennis at walchengineering.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. The first Irish study of long COVID symptoms has found almost half of people affected have memory problems and 17% have thought about harming themselves. The study found that people with long COVID have as many as 33 different symptoms. Tanya Buwalda from Crosshaven is with a group called Long Covid Advocacy Ireland and uh, Tanya joins me. Good morning to Tanya. Good morning Patricia, how are you? I'm very, I'm very well and uh, thank you for joining me. 33 different symptoms is jaw-dropping number. Did that come as a surprise to your group or have you heard it all before? Uh, to be honest, we've heard it all before. <laughs> um, Covid in itself is a multi-organ disease it tends to affect different people in different ways depending on how their health is at the time that they get infected. And the way that long COVID progresses in, and stays with people often follows a pattern of how uh, their symptoms started in the first place. But yeah, different groups of people have lots of brain issues. Other people have lots of lung issues. Other people have lots of digestive issues. And we can share similar traits or we can be completely different. But what is common, I suppose, amongst all of us is that it's actually a life-limiting condition. And a lot of people take a very significant time to recover from it. Yeah, and, and I know, certainly anyone I would have spoken to either on the programme or personally who are suffering from long COVID, everyone, what seems to be common between everyone is this utter exhaustion oh. that's almost hard to explain to people. There isn't a word in the English dictionary to describe tired or fatigue or exhaustion. It's, it's another level. Um, I try to explain it sometimes to people using a battery analogy. If you charge your phone at night, you wake up in the morning and it's at 100%. Our battery, we wake up in the morning and it's about 50%. So even getting a good night's sleep isn't enough because we're waking up uh, on low battery. By the time we get to 11 o'clock, our battery, we already need to recharge it. And that means stopping what you're doing or not participating to the full extent, whether it's work or life or home or kids. And you need to recharge your battery and you never quite get to 100%. So you're always running on empty, which is not a great feeling, to be honest. It's, good. it's, a, great, it's a great description. And recharging the battery means taking to the bed, I take it. Is it just resting? Yeah, pacing yourself. There's a lot of good advice out there for long COVID sufferers and indeed any other post-viral illness sufferers around pacing, which is you have a certain amount of battery. You kind of learn after a small while what your, your limits are. And it might be that driving down to the shops and doing the shopping is literally your limit for the day. That's the only thing that you can do in the entire day because otherwise you will literally be exhausted and need to take to the bed. Which, obviously, for different people, that makes it very difficult to live life. Yeah, 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 know? yeah. Okay, t- tell me your own story. When did you contract COVID and how were you when you got it? Um, 
I got, I was in the first wave, the alpha wave. Okay. When we hardly knew a lot about COVID, to be honest, March 2020, St. Patrick's Day, 17th, um, was when I first got sick. I wasn't that ill, actually. It was about five, six days that I was kind of unwell. I didn't have to be hospitalised. I didn't have any uh, temperature. I didn't have any cough, which were the big symptoms that were being talked about at the time. I had some digestive issues. I thought I had eaten something funny, that I'd got a bit of kind of, you know, mild food poisoning or something like that. Um, So I didn't twig initially that it was COVID at all. Um, And then I lost my taste of, um, my sense of taste and my smell. And that was only for a day, actually. Came back the next day. And that, more or less, a little bit of chest pain, very tired. You know, I did have to go to bed for about two days. I just couldn't, like the muscles, the heaviness, I just couldn't get out of the bed. And that was it. And then I started to get better and I and then I kind of went, wow, was that my COVID experience? And it was only afterwards that the all these symptoms and multiple system, symptoms started to, to hit me. So actually, a lot of people like me have had what we would call, you know, relatively mild COVID mm. and they go on to develop long COVID. And um, how, how soon after that did you so start? Initially, the fatigue stayed with me. So the fatigue was was right there from from the very beginning. But, you know, if you're working, it was lockdown. We were trying to do homeschooling, um, trying to keep everyone entertained, cooking, you know, doing all the stuff that you would do when you're a working mother. You just feel exhausted anyway. (laughs) So it's very hard to tell what's kind of next level exhaustion or what's just exhaustion from life. Um, but it just started to get worse and worse. And when I was going upstairs, I was starting to get out of breath. And I was like, wow, I've really gotten unfit very fast. I better, you know, start doing some online yoga classes. And I was putting it down to lots of other things because at the time, nobody knew what long COVID was. Nobody was really experiencing it and nobody was talking about it. And it actually wasn't until August, after I had been infected in the March, that I was had so many symptoms and I was so ill, I was like, wait a second, there is something significant going on here. What is happening to me? And at that point, I was getting um, what's called POTS, where, where every time I stood up from a chair or got up from the bed, my head would go completely dizzy and I would nearly fall over. And many times I did. remember one time getting up from the bed, I heard one of the kids calling in the nighttime, you know, and you kind of rush it over to them. And I got up very quick and I literally fell over, hit my head and fell on the floor in the hall. Is that, um, is that almost like a type of vertigo? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. And there's people who get uh, tinnitus and all sorts of other symptoms as well. And it was at that point I was like, wait, there's got to be something significant going on. And that's when I started searching around and trying to understand what was going on with me. And had you been attending a GP, were you going into a GP saying, I've got this symptom, well, I've that, got that uh, symptom? At that time, we were all still in our 5K, I think, at oh, that yeah, point. Okay. So nobody was, was seeing any yeah, professionals. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I originally had studied science years ago, and I just started looking for the science. And I was lucky that I found a group of people, um, originally healthcare workers in New York, frontline workers that had formed themselves into a little Slack community, and at the time, there were about 10,000 people who were all reporting the kind of post-viral, some sort of post-viral thing post-COVID. And it was in there that I started to hear about people who had exactly the same symptoms as myself. And then we started to call it long COVID. And then the group just started growing and growing. I think it's now something around 90,000 people in that group. Um, all medical professionals, all people who have had long COVID. And it was interesting because it was there that I was learning firsthand 
the symptoms and some of the ideas about what you could do with it. And it was only then that I kind of went, I think I have long COVID, you know. Did um, it almost did it almost come as a relief, Tanya? Because I'm assuming at some stage you must have thought, oh, thought I'm going, going out crazy. of my mind. Yeah, I thought I was going crazy. Like there was one point where I was writing one day and I literally couldn't figure out how to keep writing. It was like the message wasn't getting from my brain to my hand. I would constantly, you know, do the thing of kind of walking into a room and forgetting why why I was there. Or I'd be like calling the kids and I'd forget their name. And I was like, I'm not that old. Yeah, these are my these are my children. You know what I mean? Um, Now, I, I, I and again, it was just like, what is this? And I suppose yes, you're right. In a way, putting a label on it was okay. Well, I think I know what I'm dealing with. But of course, even now, two and a half years on, we're not actually a whole lot clearer on how to treat long COVID. And certainly in Ireland, we're way behind internationally in terms of how we're treating long COVID. So, Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The, the kind of initial euphoria of going, I think I've got long COVID and actually a medical professional believing me and thinking, I think you're right, actually. Um, that hasn't um, translated into let's get you cured. Um, it's not yeah, and quite it's, that it's, easy because it's quite isn't, complex. And isn't that a battle to get people within the medical profession, particularly from, from some of the calls coming in here to the programme, getting a GP to recognise what is wrong. I mean, one of our listeners said that their GP uh, uh, dismissed him as, as a crazy per- person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and there's an awful lot of gaslighting going on. I really didn't understand just how serious gas, medical gaslighting was until I joined the um, long COVID groups in Ireland and started hearing those stories. Uh, to be fair to GPs at the beginning, they didn't know this post-viral illness. They, did, they weren't trained on it. They weren't given any information on it. Every time I went, well, usually it was a phone call, consultation with my GP, and email um, them, I would be sending new information to them that they had never seen before. And so you can imagine that in the early days, GPs wouldn't have known anything. Two and a half years on, GPs should be knowing about long COVID and they should not be, you know, dismissing symptoms that easily. 
Yeah, I mean, here's a text in. Uh, says, hi, Patricia, please don't call out my name. It's just fine on the radio. I'm a nurse. Uh, thank you for talking and taking the time to cover long COVID today. I'm a nurse who contracted COVID at work in January of 2021. Wasn't vaccinated. We had inadequate PPE at the time. I wasn't overly sick with COVID, but the long COVID has floored me. I haven't worked since January of 2021. I got, I've got ongoing issues such as tachycardia, fatigue, brain fog, nerve pain, joint pain, muscular pain, shortness of breath. I'm only in my 30s. I shouldn't be like this. I have to choose most days between going for a shower or simply going to Tesco. COVID has stolen so much from me and sadly I'm no closer to returning to work. Yesterday's dull motion was so positive for all long COVID sufferers as we've been finally uh, listened to. Thank you for covering this issue. I mean that that's just horrific. It's heartbreak. Uh, I'm, I'm it, here it, nearly it, in tears listening yeah, to it. Yeah, it, 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 really, it, it, it really is. And, and it's typical. And that person gave of themselves to their patients, took care of people, probably worked incredibly long hours under very difficult circumstances and has still not been able to return to a normal life. That texture mentioned what happened in the Dáil. Now, what happened in the Dáil yesterday was a motion calling for swifter action on treatment for long COVID and it was unanimous, unanimously supported in the Dáil. Yeah. Are you hoping that's going to make a difference, Tanya? I'm a very positive person. Okay. And I do hope it'll make a difference. The reality is in the way that the health system is structured at the moment and the bureaucracy and lack of efficiency that I think it's going to take a long time to translate into real action on the ground. We're lucky in Cork that we have a long COVID clinic. I say lucky advisedly because it could take a year on a waiting list to get into it. Um, If you live in Clare or North Sligo or Mayo, forget it, there's no clinics in the West or the Midlands. In Dublin, they're trying to uh, close down the biggest clinic that there is. That's the one. COVID. That's the one in the Martyr. They're talking yeah. about closing that next month. They that's say right. they say due to lack of state funding. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When you look at the potential numbers, we're talking about potentially hundreds of thousands of people who have long COVID. You see, isn't this the other problem? We don't have accurate figures. Um, we don't have accurate figures in in Ireland because you can't go out and survey every person who had COVID and then go on and, and figure out whether they had long COVID. But there's enough scientific research around the globe to be able to use their research and reapply it and do the maths here. On average, there's somewhere between 20 and 40 percent of every long every COVID infection goes on to develop long COVID, and so you as can high estimate. As is, yeah, it can be, Whoa. depending on the country. So you can estimate, at the even at the very low end, 20% of all COVID infections, all COVID infections, so not just the ones at the beginning, mm. the ones that are happening today, the ones that, you know, three months ago or back to last January when there was the big Omicron wave, they're getting long COVID. It doesn't stop, you know. <laughs> it isn't mm. just the people in the first wave who weren't vaccinated. It, people are getting long COVID on an ongoing basis. And the thing about it is, is that there is a lot of help that can be given to someone that doesn't necessarily have to come from a medical setting. There's a lot of support and information and things that you can do for yourself. Where where can people access that support? So at the moment, there's no um, official information in terms of, you know, from the HSE or kind of, you know, support um, and, and help that you can do yourself. But where you find it is typically in the online support groups on Facebook. Yeah. 
yeah. um, which is crazy, really, that we're having to go <laughs> to Facebook to go and look for ideas on how to, to get if, better. But, but it's some working. amazing support Yeah, out but there. it is working. And where, where are you at yourself, I, I am much better. Like, Great. I can talk to you, yeah. and I'm not um, out of breath just speaking to you. Now, after a long conversation like this, I will not be talking for most of the day because I will be kind of what they call oxygen hungry. I'll be looking and my oxygen will be low if I've done a lot of talking. So um, that, you know, I'm better and further along. I don't take to the bed every single day, but I'm in bed by seven o'clock most nights. Um, but I don't have to go to bed in the middle of the day now. And um, how, how is it all affecting your life? I mean, are you, oh, are, are you working? Yeah, I'm working. I, I luckily, luckily I have the most understanding employer I'd say in the whole of Ireland so I can work from the bed or the desk or home or come into the office or wherever it is um, to just get the the work done um, which is fantastic it gives me the flexibility that if I'm not feeling great and I don't want to drive you know my whole commute is about 20 minutes but if I don't want to drive the 20 minutes and I don't feel up to it well then I can work from home which not everybody has yeah you know a lot and of you, people but are you working. mentioned you've you've children I do have two 11 and 8 yeah you're not able to do what you would normally have done with the children. Oh, no way, yeah. no way. I was up at a basketball court the other day with my 11-year-old and I had played basketball, you know, as a teenager fairly fairly well and I wanted to give her some tips. But sure, all that I could do was throw the ball. I couldn't run after it. I couldn't dribble it. I could just about throw it to her. That's about the extent of the physical activity that I could do. And what are your hopes for the future? Um... I I know I'm going to get better. I do actually believe that because the difference between, even though it sounds very limiting now, and it is, it's a hell of a lot better than it was two years ago. Yeah. And so I can see progression. Um, I also have realized that at the time that you get infected with COVID is very indicative of how your post-COVID journey might be. And at the time, I was a stressed little bunny, not the healthiest, and that had a huge impact on how I um, went on to develop long COVID. So I've really quite significantly changed um, my lifestyle. They'd call it lifestyle prescriptions in the, in the medical model, but, you know, I just call it getting overall more healthy. And I can see incremental, little by little, um, as things get better, but it just takes a very long time. Yeah, there was yeah, a scientist it. who worked with us on the study, um, Professor Liam O'Mahony in, in APC in Microbiome in UCC, and he was saying, you know, years ago they used to send people off to, um, you know, down to the south coast or out to kind of places in the country to recover after pneumonia or after kind of flu. Well, the, the, the sanatoriums, yeah, sanatorium, people went exactly. and people went to You'd rest. Be given very healthy food. Yeah. You'd be brought out in the daylight. Vitamin D is so important, and we're all deficient with it in Ireland. Um, and you would be given the time away from your day-to-day, you know, stresses to be able to recover. Yeah. But the reality is, sure, we can't take, you know, step off the life treadmill to be able to go off to for six months yeah, to a sanatorium. Yeah. Yeah. So, but if we did take the time, we'd probably get better much quicker. You know? I, I, I think he's right. I think he's right. Listen, Tanya, it was a real pleasure to talk to you. Um, please, God, we'll speak again and continue with your journey to good health. No but problem. Th- thanks for joining Patricia, us. Patricia, could I just say that there is, for people who are, you know, thinking that they might be going mad, there's loads of support groups on Facebook, um, 
Long Covid Support Ireland and Long Covid Advocacy Ireland are two very, very good ones that they can find us and find a community of people who are very supportive. Brilliant. And that's what you need. That's yeah. what you need. Thanks, Tanya. No bother Bye bye. Bye bye. What a lovely lady that is, uh, Tanya uh, Boo Walder, who is from Crosshaven and one of the many, many people suffering from long Covid. Mary says, I didn't get Covid, but when I had my last booster in June, I ended up with pains all over my body. Really tired. I've had an MRI, other t- all the tests under the sun and all, all, all uh, clear. Uh, I'm convinced it was because of the booster. The feeling of tiredness is awful, says Mary. But there are a number of people, Mary, as well. Uh, it, c- it could I'm not saying it's not the booster, but it could be just a coincidence it was the booster. There was a, a, like a lot of people who never officially had COVID in that they never tested positive for COVID, but could have got COVID, didn't even realise that they had it because it was such, they got such a mild dose of it. And then they discover only because they ended up with with these long COVID symptoms. It was only then that they realised that they had COVID. I know um, a relation of mine in the UK uh, was something similar to what you're saying there, was suffering really badly with tiredness and every test under the sun was being done and she'd never had COVID. And she went for testing and they found antibodies that she had had COVID and never even realised that she had it. And she's one of those who's now been diagnosed as suffering from long COVID. So it is, I'm not saying that you've long COVID, but it is possible that you could have it. Oh, 0818103103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862103103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Off to Kinsale Garda Station for this week's Garda Fire, where I'm joined by Garda Lisa Harrington. Good morning to you, Lisa. Good morning, Patricia. And we're starting with a burglary in uh, Cullen that happened at the weekend. That's correct, Patricia. So um, this was a burglary. It occurred, as you say, at the weekend. It was on the 6th of November, which is just Sunday gone. And it is believed to have occurred in the afternoon. Um, it's being investigated by Gardaí there at Mill Street. So um, Gardaí there are satisfied someone did attempt to break into the house. And a relatively short period of time in the afternoon, possibly between 1pm and 5pm, and, you know, given the short time period, someone may have spotted something or someone suspicious in the area. So just um, Gardaí at Mill Street would welcome any calls or information the public would have on that um, on that crime. OK, but it was, it was an unoccupied house. That's correct, Patricia. So, look, that house was unoccupied, but thankfully was being checked re- relatively regularly um, by the owner or person taking care of it. So the, the time of the burglary was narrowed down, which is very, very helpful for Gardaí. Yeah, and because that can become an issue with holiday homes, can't yeah, it? You, you yeah. need to see if there's somebody living in the area can keep an eye on your house. That's exactly it. So, I mean, if you are taking care of any unoccupied houses or you are the owner of a holiday home, just to ensure you're, you know, visiting the property as regularly as you can, you know, you can check the building for, for signs of any damage or attempted break-in just to check windows and doors are secure. Um, another thing would be just that there's no build-up of any kind of uh, post or, or leaflet. Um, that would show the house is vacant and um, alarm and alarm is an excellent option for people who, who can't visit or can't keep a close eye on a property. Okay, now theft of fuel and we all know how expensive fuel is. This happened in Bohabui at the beginning yeah, of the month. Absolutely, yeah. So this is theft of fuel from a truck in Bohabui. Um It happened between the 2nd and the 3rd of November. So the injured party in this case parked up his lorry overnight. Um, it was in the Bohabui area and when he returned the following day, found the cap, or the petrol cap had been forced open 
and the tank there had been emptied, unfortunately. So um, if there was anyone in the area, maybe notice anyone, anyone or anything unusual, um, Gardaí there um, would, Gardaí there at Borhawee would be um, looking forward to hearing from you. And everybody needs to keep a close eye on their fuel at the moment. Absolutely, yeah. With, I suppose, surging fuel prices, this crime is certainly sure to rise. Um, and there are a number of measures which can be used to prevent this crime, I suppose. And I know I've spoke about this before um, with you. Uh, one such thing is what's called an anti-theft lock or a locking fuel cap. And, and these locking caps are available. They're much stronger and harder to remove off petrol tanks. And, and they are relatively inexpensive. Um, I know they can be picked up for less than €20. Euro. Um, it makes it harder for thieves and it's a great deterrent. Yeah. Um, another thing would be what we would call defensive parking. I suppose just not making it easy for thieves. And defensive parking is just simply parking in a way that makes it hard for people to access fuel tanks, like parking close to a wall. That's a good idea. That's yeah. a good idea, yeah. Now, criminal damage to shrimp pots is something we don't often discuss no. on the Garda file, uh, but it happened in Doris. That's correct. Now, this this is um, this incident occurred back in October, um, but investigating Garda down in Doris um, believes the public may be of assistance with this. So the injured party in this case had observed damage to his fishing pots and its damage, which appears to have been carried out by a knife, was certainly done maliciously, where plastic on the pots had been cut. And, and the repair to these pots, the, the cost is fairly substantial. So the pots were damaged in an area, <coughs> excuse me, from Ahakista. It's on the northern side of the Manus Bay and it's located fairly close to the shore. So Gardaí and the injured party would be satisfied that the offender in the case would have had to lift the string of pots by a winch in order to do the damage. So it's possible someone had seen something in the area. Now, I know it's back in October, but if um, anyone in the area observed anything unusual, saw something suspicious surrounding this crime, Gardaí at Doris or Bantry <coughs> would welcome any information. OK, and, and please, it, just, it, might ju- it might just jog your memory that something at this time uh, yeah. stood out uh, for Absolutely. you. Now, we want to talk about fraud uh, incidents because, unfortunately, they're back on the rise. And actually, only this week on the programme, we had one of our listeners contacted us because, unfortunately, they fell for the HSE text message scam, yeah. clicked on it, gave their details. €2,000 taken out of their bank account in a very short period of time. I mean, it was just so upsetting yeah. uh, for, uh, for the listener. Uh, fraudulent emails. Yeah, look, unfortunately, fraud incidents are still reported at extremely high levels. And, and like, there's a few of note, I suppose, in the area in the last few weeks, which we just want to bring to the attention of listeners. And the first, as you mentioned there, is a, a fraud email. And it's been brought to our attention. Um, it's an email which is containing a fake guard of summons. So I've seen the summons. It looks relatively legitimate. It contains a barcode signed off by the Guard Commissioner. Um, the summons will allege the person has committed serious crime. And in order to avoid being prosecuted, there's a fine payable. So the summons will direct the person to maybe reply to the email and then payment will be requested. So the email at present seems to be coming from a Gmail account, but that's not to say that spoofed email addresses, which could look like official Guard emails, could be used. And I suppose we just want to inform people that Gardaí will never send out anything looking for payment via, via email. And certainly we wouldn't send out a summons um, taking payment as a way of avoiding criminal proceedings. OK, and then the uh, it's call, the, these are physical calls being made to people purporting to be from the bank. That's correct. This is another, um, I suppose, fraud that's been brought to our attention. And we've noticed a few extra reports on this Um so this type of fraud is um, individuals are receiving calls from people saying they're from the bank. 
saying that their account has been compromised. Um, and on one occasion, an individual stated she received um, a call from what was she believed was a legitimate bank phone number. In that, the phone number that called her, it even matched the one on the bank, back of her bank card. Ah. So, um, you know, she believed them to be legitimate. Um, uh, what I would just say is bear in mind that criminals have the ability to spoof actual phone numbers of banks. So she unfollowed the instructions of these fraudsters and was instructed to use a card reader. And unfortunately, in this case, um, her account was hacked and there was a substantial amount of money removed. So just for even just for people to bear in mind, even if it looks like a legitimate bank number, it's not always the bank. OK, so you just need to be really, really careful, particularly yes. anything that comes to you unsolicited. OK, good advice as always, Lisa. Thank you for that. Thank you. And uh, we'll speak again in the coming weeks. That's Lisa Harrington, uh, Garda Lisa Harrington, based at uh, Kinsale Garda. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And I can't help smiling and say a big, big thank you to each and every one of our listeners because the latest radio listenership figures are out and it is showing that we, the Irish love our radio. 3.7 million adults in Ireland tune into radio every week. I think we're quite unique in this country and we've never lost our love of uh, radio, which obviously I'm very thankful for. And the, the current JNLR results, they cover the 12 months from October of last year through to uh, September of this year and along with our sister station 96 FM here at C103 we continue to dominate we have 232,000 232,000 adults uh, listening every week and it is that's 51% of all of the people across Cork City and County tune into us and that's up actually it was 49% I think three months ago so thank you if you won and I know many many people listening to this programme are very very loyal listeners who have been listening for many many years so a big big thank you and here's a way of thanking at least one of you because Christy Moore is playing live at the Marquee now the date is Saturday the 17th of June 2020 23. Tickets went on sale this morning at nine o'clock through ticketmaster.ie but we have a pair of tickets to give away free today as indeed we've been doing every day this week I've got a clip of a Christy Moore song for you That's I think it's probably the shortest clip we have played all week but it is probably again one of the most recognisable of Christy Moore songs every one of the songs so far this week history of everything oh I know exactly what that is do you know the name of that song if so I need you to text or WhatsApp now, please. The name of the song, along with your name and address, and the number is always text and WhatsApp. It's the same number: oh eight six two one zero three one zero three. One of Christie's much loved tunes. He's released thirty solo albums uh, to date. I think his first was back in the late sixties, uh, and of course, his latest album, which was released uh, last year. Uh, flying into mystery was the hot pressed folk album of the year so he really is legendary singer songwriter uh, Christy Moore name that tune please by text and whatsapp only don't call it's, it's got to be by text or whatsapp and then we will select a winner and one of our winners will receive a pair of tickets to go to see Christy live at the marquee on Saturday the 17th of June and our thanks to Aiken promotion uh, we'll have one more pair of tickets to give away tomorrow and of course reminding you you can purchase your tickets because Christy Moore 
always sells out. Yeah, Ticketmaster.ie. The tickets now officially on sale since nine o'clock this morning. Now, we will be looking for your pet questions, but hold off on the pet questions because I don't want them getting lost, uh, mixed up with all of the entries that are coming in for the Christie competition so hold off if you have a pet question unless you want to ring John Paul with it you can do that to 0818 103 103 and I'll get John Paul to see if he can help out with this problem that Anne in Shanagari has to say Patricia we're having problems with air and hope you can help us we have no internet and no phone which means no landline it's been going on now for over three weeks in spite of reporting the fault we've spoken to 12 different employees we're now at our our wits uh, end my husband who is in his 80s and I depend on the phone particularly for contact with families overseas please please if you can help at all I appreciate you far more serious problems to deal with oh god help you and that's from Anne in Shanagari I'll get John Paul to see if he can get an email out to air they have been really good in the past but that just seems dreadful that you could have a, a couple like that I don't know if you're both in your 80s or not but uh, you, feel, you feel very isolated if you're without the phone and the internet particularly if the phone is being used so much for contact with families overseas and we all have families living overseas and they feel a little bit closer to us don't, don't they when we're able to pick up the phone and call them or maybe over the internet you're able to you know FaceTime them and actually see them so it's yeah I, it, it, it saddens me when I, when I see people being left like that loyal customers to a company that can be left for three weeks and it's not for the want of not reporting it like Anna says 12 times they've spoken to somebody and still nothing has been done three weeks seems like an excessively long period of time to be without your phone and internet okay so leave it with us Anna and fingers crossed we'll be able to get something sorted for you now some more of your texts coming in this text made me smile earlier on from Sheila in uh, Kilbert says oh my god Trish We are only on day four of the bird flu lockdown and it's like we're living in Frank Kelly's 12 days of Christmas song here. My ducks have got depression. The chickens have turned on the bantams and the rooster hasn't stopped crowing since last Sunday. I'm reaching for the Valium as I speak. <laughs> says uh, Sheila in uh, Kilworth, and it does sound just like Frank Eddie's The Twelve Days of Christmas. Hang in there, and I, I'd love to have news for you as to when we're expecting that to be lifted. And there, there isn't, there isn't any news. I mean, we really have to protect both the our domestic bird population, and of course, it's a huge thing for the commercial. Um, bird producers because we're coming into Christmas which is the busiest time for turkeys and God all we need is for a really bad outbreak uh, among the turkey farms of bird flu so everybody is in lockdown at at the moment Sheila hopefully it'll be sooner rather than later you'll be able to leave your birds a fly a free but thank you for your text you certainly you certainly made me smile this morning 0818 at 103 103 and Munster and South African rugby fans will be arriving at the home of Cork GAA tonight for what everyone everyone says and sees as history making encounter it's completely sold out by the way if you haven't got uh, your uh, tickets and of course the reason that it's making history it is the first ever rugby match to be played at Porky Cueve and I know at the time of the announcement 
some of our listeners here to this programme were not happy with it. They didn't like the idea of, as one person put it, a foreign game being played on the hallowed turf of Porky Creek, but it is now going ahead. The match will be held in front of the biggest ever crowd for a rugby game in the province of Munster. 41,400 tickets have been uh, sold. And I saw a quote from uh, the rugby development officer for, for Munster Rugby at Munster Technology University quoted as saying that it really is a historic day and they're hoping that it will pave the way for many more matches of this size in uh, Cork. Now, Gardaí, and I heard it on the news with with Barry a few minutes ago they are issuing advice to fans who are attending the match urging them to please please use public or shared transport where possible because they're trying to prevent as much traffic congestion in the area as they can. Now the 202 bus that runs from Merchants Quay in the city centre that's going to leave every 20 minutes going out to Ballon Temple while the city centre car parks all of them will remain open as well. Now fans are Please ask to avoid, if you are going to drive as close to Porky Creeve as you can, please avoid blocking entrances to housing estates, to businesses and to any parks. And people are asked to refrain from parking on footbacks. Please don't use disability spaces or on any of the bus stops. And Gardaí obviously will be on duty and they will be uh, directing traffic both before the match and you're asked to abide by all, as indeed everybody does, all of the rules and regulations with the Gardaí after the match. So if you're going along, much excitement uh, building for the Munster versus uh, South Africa. And can we just wish Munster the best of luck in that match uh, tonight. But 41,400 people attending. History making in that it's the first ever rugby match in Porky Cueve. But history is also being made as it is the largest crowd ever to watch a rugby match in Munster so we're making history for a variety of reasons okay can we close off we are we're closing off our texts and whatsapps for this again absolutely massive reaction to this particular competition and we got John Paul just there now he is randomly uh, selecting a winner don't forget your shovel that's the name of the song. And let me see the name of the winner. The name of the winner today is Aideen Cosgrove in Yall. Congratulations, Aideen Cosgrove. And it is Aideen, not Aiden. it's Aideen. Aideen Cosgrove in Yall. Congratulations to you, Aideen. You have won a pair of tickets. You now know what you're going to be doing on the 17th of June next. You'll be going live, live to the marquee where you'll be sitting down to watch the fabulous, fabulous Christy Moore live in concert. Congratulations to you, Aideen. One more chance for people to win tomorrow. We'll have another Christy Moore clip for you that I will play out and give you the chance to enter and win. And of course, in the meantime, if you would like to purchase tickets to go along and see Christy Moore, you can do it and you can do it now because tickets went on sale at nine o'clock this morning. You go to www.ticketmaster.com. I.E. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. 
Anamkara are making additions to their support services for bereaved parents and they're offering a 30-minute webinar. It's free of charge. They'll do it every Thursday evening for the month of November. If you'd like more information, you can, you can email info at anamkara.ie or call 85 Grow Community Mental Health, they're holding their annual fundraising collection. It's a Dano Supervalue in Bellevue and it's on today. Your support would be gratefully appreciated. And please note that Grow meetings are held every Monday night at La Cayla in Mallow uh, at 7.15. McCroom Flower and Garden Club are holding a charity gala floral demonstration with Alan Beatty. It's on tonight in Coolcar House in McCroom. The demonstration is called Quincententially Christmas. It starts at 8. Tickets are €20 Euro, and they're available from 087-982-1708. And Shambali Moore Santa Drive Committee are running an online fuel raffle with the proceeds going to the purchase of Christmas lights for the Santa Drive event. The first prize is a €100 Euro Circle K gift card. You can purchase your tickets online through idonate.ie. They're also available from any local committee member. They would like to thank local businesses and clubs who've already pledged sponsorship. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. And you can get your pet questions into us, please, because we've cleared the text message service of our Christine more competition which was a massive massive response just showing how many Christy Moore fans are in the area so you can get your pet questions in for our resident vet um, Jane 0862 103 103 and John Paul is also taking calls at 0818 103 103 now earlier in the week I spoke with Senator Tim Lombard who was highlighting the problems that uh, it was to do mainly with capacity on the Cork to Kinsale route and I'm reading in the papers today that Bus Aaron has now confirmed that they're going to increase passenger capacity by 50% on its Kinsale to Cork City route and that's been following a lot of public complaints about the service. Uh, local Kinsale councillor Kevin Murphy uh, joins me. Good afternoon to you Kevin. Good afternoon Patricia. Uh, I, 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 I'm very well thank you. Now Bus Aaron are saying that they're going to put on a double decker but am I right in saying that they promised to put a double decker on before? Yeah, they promised that a long time ago and we put severe pressure during the last uh, two weeks since the last council meeting and we told them distinctly that the Kinsale area would need a double-decker bus and we need at least a minimum of 50% more capacity. That has happened and we are delighted with it. That is the first thing. The main problem in Cork City itself with the actual people that are left behind uh, who have no ticket, number one, and number two is that they're standing out in the cold and the wet and they're getting absolutely drenched. Now, just remind listeners who, who perhaps didn't hear us talk about it earlier on, this bus used to go from the bus station? Yes. Uh, it used to go from the bus station way, way back along about a year, just over a year ago. has changed down to Contaf Street and there is no shelter whatever there. Um, that's the first thing. Second of all, is that people are now going from that particular spot in Clantar Street back to the train station and standing inside and waiting for the train station to get on the bus early. So by the time it comes to Clantar Street, it's half full, and once the capacity is full, they head off and leave the rest of them on the street, soaked. 
Yeah, and we've had some very, very wet weather and there's been awful oh, stories told great. of people just left um, standing there. So this announcement from Bus Aaron that a 50% capacity with the double-decker, um, even though they do say some services are expected to be operated by a single-deck bus as they phase in the double-deck uh, the double deck buses, and they also say that they've seen an increase in passenger numbers all over the country. So they're not guaranteeing that every single time a bus pulls in it is going to be a double decker yeah that's that's quite true in actual fact and, and i think that's a pity because uh, really and truly uh, we need consistent bus bus uh, terminals to be folded at all times and ready to go on board and they should be able to take every single person that's there as, as you know yourself and you're rightly pointed out that we're now moving from from the car, if I'm trying to move from the car onto public service. Well, we've been encouraged to do that, Kevin. Absolutely, and uh, and if we don't, if we don't, if Vossian cannot put through uh, a, a double and a, a, a good, solid, consistent supply of double decker buses, then effectively it's going to be a complete failure, and that would be dramatic. And I think myself, yeah, we'll have to fight for that one. Morning, noon, if you get it back on full time on double decker bus now. What about West Cork Connect and the wonderful yes. service provided by Damien it's and the gang? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and uh, with the criticism the other night at the meeting, um, Kim Lumber organised that meeting, and uh, uh, myself and Murray Sullivan were there with the chairman of the municipal district. We were both at that, and that, that point came up big time by uh, Dave Long of Skibreen, uh, saying that the county council were at fault for not identifying more areas and licensing them uh, to take more and more uh, of the students mainly to um, CIT um, and on to UCC as well. And that's a wonderful service and we want to promote that big time and we make every effort now to make sure that that particular uh, licence is guaranteed and the, bu- and the stops are available. Well, you see, isn't that the problem with West Cork Connect? They don't have the bus stops. They don't. And that's and that's I didn't even, I mean, it that was news to me. Yeah. And as I said, yeah, they must in order to be elevated, they must be licensed and they must have uh, have the bus stops pointed out in several places on that route. So who's responsible for erecting the bus stops? Well, yeah, exactly. I we, I didn't I didn't believe that, that when I heard that um from the, the connect that uh, we were that we as a council were responsible for it. And um we I'll check that out now on Monday morning. We'll meet him Monday morning. I'll check that out. And I will certainly put it to the council to make sure if they are responsible, let's get working and let's get active on that. Because it is good to see and hear Boss Aaron say that nationwide there's a 15% higher number of people using public buses than it was pre-pandemic. But therefore, you know, they know that the extra numbers are there. They just need to put the buses out. Absolutely and totally. Look, it's, it's a no-brainer to have uh, that. And 15% is the start of hopefully of bigger things to come. And maybe more and more passengers will now join, the, will join the, the, the public transport and leave their cars at home. And if that's the case, then effectively we have to match up that with, with, the, with the, the extra capacity in the buses coming through. And if we don't do that, in actual fact, the, the, the idea that climate change and the idea of, of, uh, of all these particular proposals will let fall flat again before we, have, before we have an opportunity to get going. OK, so you're going to keep on to bus air and to make sure those double-deckers arrive. And in the meantime, try and get the council to sort out the bus stops with yes. West Cork Connect. All right, listen, keep us posted, uh, Kevin. And thank keep you for in. that.
Thank you very Thanks, much Patricia. Thanks uh, for joining Thank us. You. That is uh, Kinsale-based County Councillor Kevin Murphy. And actually just staying on buses because an issue that we dealt with gave a huge amount of time uh, to it in the last couple of months uh, was to do with the school buses. So I was with um, places on the school buses this year. So I was read with great interest this morning that just seven of over 1,600 appeals by families over access to their sons and daughters getting on the school bus have been heard over the past month. The provision of school transport has been hugely criticised after many students, particularly this year, were left without or lost their place on the bus and that of course was because there was a boom in applications when the annual fees to get on the school bus were wavered and they were wavered for the right reason by the Minister for Education I won't hold that against Norma Foley she did it because of the cost of living uh, crisis but the knock on effect was it left many people without a seat on the bus and these were many people uh, who had been on that students who'd been on the bus for many many years so figures now from the Department of Education show that fewer than 1% of the 1,644 appeals pending with the School Transport Appeals Board in October have actually been processed and the numbers were as a result of a question a parliamentary question put by the Cork East Labour TD Sean Sherlock who in fairness Sean has been one of the people who's been fighting on behalf of some of his constituents to get them onto the school bus. But it seems shocking that so few families have had their appeals heard because I remember at the time when people were getting turned down and there wasn't a seat on the bus and we had some local families saying, you know, I remember in one case there was um, a young young student who was going into fifth year and had, got, had had a seat on the bus for first year, second year and third year and suddenly as they were going into transition year they were told there was no seat on the bus I mean it was just uh, crazy so and we were saying to them appeal you can appeal that decision there's a process in place to appeal but I assumed once you once you appealed that the, the, the appeals they will be some way working through the numbers of appeals and it seems us here in Cork and Galway had the highest number of appeals lodged over 200 were lodged uh, here from Cork Sean Sherlock says the system has been broken for years it should work for every family that wishes to use the service he said the appeals pro- protocol now has got to be overhauled he said seven appeals heard in a month is ridiculously low it's a time sensitive issue and of course it is these are people who tried to get on the school bus in September we're now in mid-November their appeal is in and it hasn't even been heard he said the minister constantly states it's a demand-led system until the distance criteria he says is abolished or at least extended then we're going to have this constant tension every single year between those that are entitled to a ticket and those that are on a discretionary uh, ticket now a spokesperson for the Department of Education said that the board meets regularly to consider appeals it's while it endeavours to consider as many appeals as possible per month each case is considered on an individual basis some cases are more complex they require additional time to consider any supporting documentation in full but even you know you don't know uh, which ones are going to need additional time but for only seven to have been heard out of over 1600 seems absolutely crazy and I am assuming I don't have the figures and whether Sean Sherlock has the figures but the number of appeals obviously has gone up hugely compared to the number of appeals on previous years and that's because 
so many young people didn't make it onto the school bus. So obviously, and they should have been aware of that. They should have been aware of how many people didn't get a school bus place and the knock-on effect would be more and more families should uh, would be appealing. So therefore, they should have had something in place to deal with those appeals. 0818103103. Our lines are open. We are looking for your pet questions, please, because Jane Pickett, our resident vet, is about to join us. If you have a pet question, you can call John Paul or you can text or WhatsApp me here to the studio 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103. And Jane Pickett of the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, uh, joining me on this Thursday afternoon. Good afternoon, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you are very welcomed. Now, a kind of a timely one, I suppose. Uh, a listener says that her dog got absolutely spooked with fireworks going off in the area. They did everything that had been suggested to try to mitigate against the noise. But unfortunately, the area where they live, there was a lot of fireworks. The dog is now very nervous about any loud bangs in the house. Is there anything you can suggest to help with this? Okay, so this is a really difficult one. Um, sadly, it's something that tends to happen every year around this time of year. Obviously, our dogs and cats are, are not aware that, you know, there might be bangers and fireworks going off. They don't understand it's celebratory. Um, for them, it's a really unpredictable noise and vibration. And understandably, they can get very scared, very fearful. And that can that can linger for a number of days. I generally find that over time, it will wear off. Um, but it can be very distressing for the pet for the number of days afterwards if they've been particularly fearful. And obviously us as owners watching our pets being fearful is, is never a nice experience. What I would say is inside the house, try and try and dim the noise. So um, I know there's going to be unpredictable bangs, particularly if you near, live near a road, there'll be cars starting, things like that. You know, the, the world is not predictable. So what I'd say is try and keep the doors and the windows closed if possible to kind of muffle the noise. And make sure that if they're outside and prone to getting startled, they're kept on lead. You don't want them kind of taking off after a sudden noise whilst they're still a little bit fearful uh, and running for the hills. So make sure they're on lead if they're outside. But if they're inside, keep the doors and the windows closed. And I would maybe try and leave the radio on in the background, maybe a little bit louder than usual, just to, to kind of cover any noise for a little while, um, just to try and make things uh, a, a little bit more kind of a, an ambient, an ambient din for them. Also make sure they have somewhere really, really nice and cosy to go and hide if they want to. This is similar to if they, if we are kind of having a, an evening where there's a storm or an evening where there's a fireworks. If they have a little crate or an area where they sleep, make it extra nice and cosy, some, put some blankets around it. So they have somewhere to treat, retreat to where they feel really comfortable um, and, and, and things are nice and relaxed. You can also try maybe some pheromone diffusers or pheromone collars. So for dogs, it's a product called a dactyl. For cats, it's Feliway. There's lots of other ones on the market, but they can sometimes soothe them without it being a smell that we smell. Um, and it may kind of be a temporary little fix to help you over this little bit. But it's it's a tough time of the year every time of the year. So yeah. best of luck with that one. OK, Barry in Kanturk uh, says my pup has been scratching around his ears a lot. I thought it might be flea, fleas, but all his flea doses are up uh, to date. Uh, not having any luck. He's just constantly scratching just around his ear area. What could it be? 
okay, so if it's just around the ear area, I suppose if it's a, if it's a new young pup, and they've just recently had their very first collar put on. Sometimes they can almost try and scratch at the collar, sometimes miss and accidentally scratch their ears. But, you know, usually that passes within a day or two. Well done on having your flea control up to date. But what I'd say is there are, there are other parasites apart from fleas which can cause irritation of the ears, particularly one called ear mites. There are other causes of itching at the ears. So sometimes we have a, an infection in the outer bit of the canal. So we have kind of our ear flap, which is called the pinna. But down in the ear canal is a nice, wet, warm space where bacteria love to grow, yeast love to grow and ear mites thrive. I would say if the, the itching and scratching at the ears is continuing, you, you really need to visit your vet. They'll need to examine the ear with a tool called an otoscope, which is just essentially a, a little tool which allows us to shine light down to the very base of the ear. But also they may need to take some samples to see, well, is it ear mites, is it yeast or is it bacteria? And they'll be able to tell that under a microscope and get you some treatment. So well done for being up to date on the parasite treatment. But I think it might be something a little bit deeper that needs the attention of a vet. OK, I don't know if you're going to be able to help your namesake Jane in uh, Mallow, but she has a semi wild cat. Uh, to the point that she doesn't think she'd be able to get the cat into a vet who has what she describes as a swelling on the side of its face. Uh, it looks like to be some kind of a cyst. Uh, she's wondering, would it simply just go away itself? OK, so, you know, with wild cats, it can be very challenging because sometimes we can see that they're obviously unwell or they have a cut or a scrape. Um, but obviously, because they're wild cats, they're very fearful and can be very difficult to catch safely. Um, if there's a kind of a, an almost cyst-like structure or a kind of an open wound on the face in wild cats, um, when they fight with each other, one of the main areas where they'll kind of try and bite each other is the face and the neck and the shoulders. So cat bite abscesses, so deep infections after a cat fight are really common. In a lot of cases, they will go away on their own and settle down. But, you know, sometimes they can they can get worse depending on the immune status of the cat. Um, I suppose what I would say is if you have concerns about a wild cat, um, your first protocol would maybe be calling the ISPCA if it's an obviously wild feral cat that doesn't have an owner and make them aware of the situation. It may be that, they, you know, they may be in a position to try and assess the situation for you. But the thing with wild cats is they're not good at staying in one predictable mm. place. They do tend to roam a little bit. But that would be my 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 first thought. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, they I know some of the cat um, people that work with wild cats, they can trap the trap, neuter and release, they, they have special cages. Isn't that how it's done? They do. Yeah. They do yeah. indeed. So a lot of the time it will be tempting them with food to catch them in a very safe manner. Because obviously, you know, our health and safety of, you know, either members of the public and, you know, other people who work with animals is really paramount. Obviously, we want to care for the pet, but sometimes they're wild and somewhat flighty nature can work against them. So it's really trying to do things in a safe way for everyone. And those cages definitely help. OK, Jonathan is looking for some advice for the household. They have a new baby arriving in December so there's much excitement but there is a very pampered pooch it's a Bichon Frise who lives in the house with them it's at times Jonathan says it feels like it's her house not ours she's very close to my wife and I'm fearful for the new baby what would Jane suggest okay so this is always a difficult transition and there will be a period of adjustment but what I'd say is try and prepare as far and as possible ahead of the baby arriving um for what it'll be like so try and anticipate your routine I'm aware that's a very difficult thing to do with a young baby but a lot of the objects that are going to be associated with the baby being around the cot the playthings um 
all of that stuff if you can try and put that into the environment now so that at least your dog can get used to the presence of those things and go well that's not a surprise then that's a helpful thing um it is really really difficult but i think it's just really trying to mirror as much as possible now what your routine might be when the baby arrives so that you can smooth that transition for the pet but look they're adjustable adaptable creatures there may be a bit of upheaval for a little while might be a little bit of upset on the part of the little doggo but things do settle in time so just make sure that everybody's safe in the situation obviously we always say with young kids babies don't leave them alone with a dog that goes without saying but just make sure everybody's safe give it time and I'm sure everything will will become peaceful and adapted to the new new arrival. Yeah, and I know a tip I came across a couple of years ago when a, a friend of mine was uh, due her first baby, and like that there was a, a similar was a cocker spaniel uh, in the household. And I think I'd seen it online somewhere where they were suggesting that a blanket that the baby had been wrapped in in the hospital to bring that home the day before baby was coming home to let the dog get used to the smell of the baby because obviously a newborn baby has a unique smell and and that it worked and, and it worked so that when the baby came in dog had a bit of a sniff oh yeah I smelled that yesterday and sort of moved on so there, there's little tips like that that you can do as well I think that's a that sounds like a brilliant idea. So if that's feasible, I'd be a hundred percent behind that. that okay, sounds like a, but ne- a good never leave. And the same goes for cats. You never leave a cat uh, alone mm-hmm. with a newborn baby. Okay, uh, thank you, Jane. Have a lovely week, and we'll talk to you next Thursday. You too. Thank Thanks you for Patricia. joining us. That is uh, Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, which is part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. All of me has to leave you because Nick Richards is up next with you for the afternoon. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. We are back with you tomorrow and a reminder that tomorrow we've got our final pair of Christy Moore tickets uh, to give away. Uh, we'll do that tomorrow on the programme. Until tomorrow, 10, I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCrew. Room, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,